Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Our guests today on Mind, Body, Health, and Politics are Dr. Dean Del Giudice and Gay Matheson, who are psychotherapists in San Diego, California. Stay tuned for this interesting interview. But first, news and notes in psychology and medicine. As we look with horror at the reprehensible invasion and killing of innocent civilians in the Ukraine, it's also a time for us to be looking at cleaning up our own house a bit. When we review our history, the three major stains on the American character are how we treated the blacks in this country, the Native Americans, and our cherished women, all three of whom have suffered mightily, and we're all aware of that, or at least many of us are. But what many people are not aware of is how many people have suffered, and some have actually died, in America's war on drugs. This was a war started by our alcoholic, paranoid president, Richard Nixon, who declared war on people of color and on the hippies. And he did so by criminalizing various substances that he thought both groups were using. And then going on the nightly news and haranguing constantly about these two groups and mostly about the drugs that he claimed that they were using. As a result of America's war on drugs, millions, literally millions of people have suffered, millions of families have been destroyed, reputations have been besmirched. It has been a horrific war and it has been going on now for over 50 years. When you look at the policies of the American government, one shrinks, one shrinks with dismay. How is it that we allow ourselves to live in what I consider to be political psychosis by being in a situation where Close to 480,000 people die every year from smoking cigarettes. At least 100,000 people die every year from drinking alcohol. And yet, cigarettes and alcohol are not only legal, they're readily available, and they're advertised. At the very same time, marijuana and LSD and other psychedelic substances, which have killed zero, no reported deaths from marijuana or LSD in that same 50-year period. You know this is documented. Many of you have heard some of the leading scientists in the world on this program, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, talk about the fact 
that there have been no deaths from these substances. And yet they are federally illegal and we're attacking people, putting them in jail, going to their homes at gunpoint, taking them away, putting them in prison. It is time that we cleaned our own house. Today's interview is another interview in my ongoing series that I have called Psychedelic uh, Wisdom in the book that's coming soon. However, during the program itself, we've been referring to these interviews as Confessions of the Psychedelic Elders. And why do I call it Confessions of the Psychedelic Elders? It is because I have selected prominent therapists from around the country and scientists who are over 65 years of age, maybe one or two snuck in a little younger, but almost all over 65, many in their 70s and 80s, and actually one in the 90s carefully selected these folks for their courage, their extreme courage in self-experimenting with these psychedelic material materials over a period of decades. These good citizens, these good parents, these respectable contributing people have risked their careers in order to further the cause of science, as well, of course, as to enhance themselves, their own, to expand their consciousness, their creativity, and to find out more about these substances which have huge potential for healing, as we are finding out during this present psychedelic renaissance. But let us not get too carried away. Let us remember that while this renaissance is taking place, these substances are still all illegal at the federal level. And everyone who engages with these substances is risking imprisonment. Today with us, we have Dean Del Giudice and Gay Matheson, two prominent therapists from San Diego, California. Dean has written a book called Tactical Boundaries, and Gay has written a book called Your Guide to Self-Actualization. We'll be talking to them about their books during a future interview, but today we're interviewing them as psychedelic elders. Welcome, Dean and Gade. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. Thank you so thank much, you, Richard. Richard. It's a pleasure to be on your show, and thank you for having us. Thank you for being here. So I said you live in um, in, in San Diego, California. I, I entered. We, we <laughs> what did I say, San Diego? We a race, it. a race, a race. You live in Palm Springs, California. Yes, we're Palm in, Desert. We're in Palm Richard. Desert. Palm we, Desert. We wish we had another place in San Diego. But <laughs> that would, would please be excuse. Deleted everybody. They live in, uh, in, Palm, in Palm Desert, Desert which is yeah. near Palm Springs, my That's era. That's right. That's right. Thank you. And if I may, uh, Dean, how old are you? I'm 66 years old. 
Okay, so you make it. You're just a year over. You just slid right over the wire there, yes. I'm not sure whether I should ask your age or not, because there is a kind of inhibition about asking females their age. Uh, it's okay, Richard. I'm 72. Okay, thank you very much for that. And in the name of femininity and equality, you came forth with your age as well. And I thank you for it. <laughs> in terms of some background, gay, were you brought up with religion? Not really. Uh, we went to church on major holidays, Easter, you know, the night before Christmas, but that really was about it. And when you were growing up, did you have a conception of God? Yes, I did have a conception of God. I'm not sure where it came from. But, but you, and can you recall sort of what that conception was like? Probably at the time I was young, it was more like a, an overriding, wonderful father. So it was a it was a male it, it presence. It was a male presence mm -hmm. s somewhere. Yes, that was overseeing everything. Overseeing everything. And Dean, what about yourself? Were you brought up with religion? Well, how does twelve years of Catholic school sound? It sounds like um, a lot of indoctrination in a very successful cult. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about it was it was my mother who helped me get through it because she said no matter what what the teachers, what the nuns or the, or the brothers say, uh, it just smile and nod. So okay. I was because <laughs> one day when I was a little boy, I came home from grammar school and I told my mother that we're all going to hell. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we ate meat on Friday which 50 years ago was a mortal sin. Oh, yes. Fish and, only. Oh, yes. And Until they changed their minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then my father uh, uses the Lord's name in vain regularly, and we haven't gone to church in three weeks, so we're going to help. And she said, sit down, honey. She says, let me tell you something your grandma told me. She said, Jesus just wants you to love him uh, and, and be nice to people. And everything else, just smile and nod no matter what they say. And I believe that that's how I survived. She took so, the fear of hell out of me. Uh, well, that was a very lovely thing for her to do. Mm -hmm. And she also gave you a slogan for life. Smile and nod. That's Smile right. and nod. It's worked many times. Yes. In other right. arenas. Instead of S and M, you got S yeah. and N. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the, moving forward, Gay, um, how old were you when you had your first experience with a mind-altering substance. I was 20. And that was I, in 1970. And what was the uh, substance that you uh, used to uh, alter your mind? It was LSD. And at that time, you probably remember, it was a very pure state of LSD. And, uh, and what can you tell us about that experience that you recall? It was an amazing experience, and it opened the door for many experiences because as I was under the influence, I saw that everything was energy, everything. 
just vibrating at different rates. And I knew that if I could achieve that state with LSD, I could find that state myself, which opened the door for a myriad of explorations, meditation, uh, many other things, uh, uh, finding a yoga teacher. Uh, it just opened the door to different dimensions for me. And that made me realize I could get to those dimensions myself with or without LSD. Do you recall the circumstances uh, in which you had this profound experience? Yes, we were outside. I was with a couple of friends and we were outside in nature. And I saw how everything worked together in this just amazing design. And I felt, if, if anybody's familiar with the heart chakra, I felt my heart chakra just opening and connecting with everything around me, the trees, the rocks, the water, my friends. Uh, it was an amazing opening that the rest of my life, I have worked to find methods to achieve that. Now, if having a experiential realization that everything is energy was your biggest takeaway from that initial uh, psychedelic experience. Was, was there, were there any secondary or tertiary uh, takeaways or was, was the big one enough <laughs> in, well, in it and was of itself? Yes, it was certainly enough, but in, in looking at everything as energy, there was also this overwhelming feeling of love for everything and connectedness. Connectedness. Please say a few more words, elaborate on, on your sense at that time. And of course, you're going by a recollection at that time of connectedness. Connected to the trees, connected to the sky, connected to my friends in a in a deeper way, a more loving way. It was like it opened the floodgates of love for everything. Thank you. Dean, how old were you when you had your first experience with a mind-altering substance? I believe I was 17 years old, Richard. And please, what can you tell us from your memory? We're going back now um <laughs> 50 time. years yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what can you t what can you tell us about that experience well um i have heard friends talking about doing lsd and read a lot about the mind expansion part of it so that was my angle you know a lot of people wanted to trip they thought it was getting high and i always said no i'm looking for something else and and I met someone who's actually, because we were so young, their parents were out of town. So several of us got together and we uh, took LSD in their home and we made sure it was a safe environment. No answering the phone or the door. And uh, I remembered, you know. Oh, let me interrupt. I want to interrupt you there, please. How did you know to create a safe environment? You were 17 years old ah. and, and that's a, almost a professional outlook. Mm -hmm. How did you know to do that? Because I had heard tales of those who had dropped acid and for the purpose of partying and I'd gone out and about 
and uh, they had some bad results. Uh, you know, external influences when you can't control, you're on a new drug, it is mind expanding and you can't, having interactions with strangers that could be unexpected or unpleasant caused them to have bad trips in plain English. And so we decided we're gonna really make this thing bulletproof or a safe area for us. And well, so that was that was quite advanced for a 17-year-old, mm -hmm. wasn't it? I mean, looking well, back now, you can see how advanced that was yeah, to know to I, do that. I just didn't want to have a bad trip, but I wanted to have the, the trip. So I, we thought that's the best way to do it. Okay, so please proceed. I interrupted you. That's okay. Okay, so we took the LSD, and I remember the, <laughs> the wonderful feelings coming on, and... Uh, then it was like a bit of a roller coaster until I got used to it. And I had to, I saw the hallucinations and they were random. And then I started realizing, and I'm doing this because of the trails. Remember, you can see the trail. Then I started realizing that I could control my hallucinations. And that was fascinating to me because now I can control what I'm seeing or I can go in, a, in a, any direction I wanted. Um, I can I can switch gears and go from if my mind was preoccupied with one subject or really into you know staring at a candle <laughs> and seeing something, uh, I realized I could just switch gears and take my mind into I'm floating through outer space looking down at Earth, and that felt um, that was really exciting because I felt an empowerment over my ability to control my thoughts and my mind. Um, I also, the word uh, gay use connectedness, uh, felt it was almost as if the universe was of one fabric. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, look at a loosely woven fabric, you know, of, of, of translucent threads. Almost everyone was on the grid. Everything was connected to this right. grid, sharing all the same energy. And um, it elaborate, was elaborate for us on a word that I understand, but I want others to understand as well. And that was your use of the word trails. There were trails that you could see. <laughs> well, when something, when you're on LSD or a psychedelic drug and something in motion passes through your field of vision, um, you see it in, I don't know how, what, what would be the word for that, Richard? You, you see it in uh, like time-lapse photography. Would that be the closest thing? Yes. Yeah. Right. So I remember going to a basketball game at high school. I, we didn't even mean to trip, but we had just uh, a buddy of mine, Chuck, and I had purchased some uh, orange sunshine. You, you're moving ahead now away from that first experience. Oh, you are. Right. Yeah, so let's wait. I want to hear about the basketball, but we're still on that first experience. Okay. And, and, you, and you already were able to see the trails. Yes. Yes. You know, really what, what what's happening is you're seeing that everything is in motion. Everything around us is in constant motion and everything yeah. is as a form of energy, as Gay said. And, and I believe that what you're seeing in those trails are the remnants of the energy as it's moving through space. Yes. It's, it, it's 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 almost yeah. like what comes out of the back of a of a jet plane, but not quite. Right. And Richard, may I interject something? Yes, please. Uh, another thing that I got, at, which also addresses the trails, is that time changed. And I realized that time was not what I thought. Say some you know? more, Gay. 
Well, the, you know, it seemed like I was there all day, but I was probably tripping for three or four hours. And like when Dean talks about the trails, you know, that's a time thing too. So I realized that time is different than what I thought. It's not like finite. It's like a concept, in other words. Mm -hmm. Excuse me, go ahead. I agree, honey. And my experience also was of timelessness. Yes. It was it was just infinity. Yes. And and I also had feelings of immortality. Yes. Now, uh, mm -hmm. it, it was as if I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was an infinite being and, and connected to all this. Mm -hmm. um, it actually helped me, uh, I guess you could say, look at death differently. Like, you know, I didn't it helped me stop believing that death was finite because I, I, I'd had that, that connected infinite experience. Yes. And I felt the immortality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Coming back to you now, Gay. After that first experience, when you were 20 years of age, you had this sense of interconnectedness with everything. You had this sense that everything is made up of energy. Actually, when you said that, I thought of the famous Alex Gray paintings where he paints people. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're wonderful paintings of people as energy forms. He actually yes. paints the energy. And so what was your next experience after that, Gay? Oh, and to just highlight the first one, I had a spiritual awakening, I would say. And that was a result of the connectedness. And this talk talk to us about what you mean by a spiritual awakening. Well, I always felt like there was some higher intelligence, but after this experience, I realized that I was a part of that and it was more powerful than I ever imagined. In other words, it confirmed it for me that there was a divine intelligence, if you will. And as best you recall, do you know what the dose of LSD was in that first experience when you were 20? You don't I know. I have Thank no you. idea. Yeah, I understand. And Dean, do you have any guess at how much uh, LSD you took during that first experience? No. All I remember is it was like considered the standard dosage of one hit okay. of window, window pane or orange sunshine. Okay. So, um, Gay, tell us about your next experience then with LSD. After that first one, you were 20 years old. And then what happened next? Well, I did a series, and I can't remember specifically the next, but it was the same kind of thing. It was that same wonderful feeling, a feeling of opening, connectedness, uh, and I feel like it actually really changed my life. Can you uh, say more about how it changed your life as a young person? Well, I just felt more in love with everything more in love with everything and more connected and um, and more secure, like Dean says, uh, secure in my spiritual awakening that, that we were all of a piece, like the tapestry Dean talked about. And that felt really good. And you mentioned that you did a series. Does that mean that you and your friends planned a series of psychedelic experiences together? Is that what you meant by yes. series? 
Yes, I don't think we set it out like we're going to do a series of 10, but it amounted to that. And and this was all while you were in your early 20s? Yes. Okay. And now back to you, Dean. What was your next experience with a mind-altering substance? Well, my next one, Richard, and I can't, I, I had about 100 LSD trips. So During, yeah. Over what period of time? Oh, from let's say 17 to 21 or 22. Thank you. Okay. Um, and so in the first, in the first trip, um, I felt as if I knew, had realizations of fabulous things, uh, all of a sudden understandings that just came to me. And so on the second trip, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a pad of paper and a the problem is when I came down, I couldn't remember any. So, so I said, I'm going to have a pad of paper and a pen here, and I'm going to bring some of this wisdom here. As Gay was saying, some kind of an intelligence. Well, I felt like there was some kind of a, yeah, a major source of, you know, all the information, everything we needed to know. So I was going to have a pen and paper, write stuff down. And then when I came down, I would, I would have brought this uh, wonderful in information back to earth. Um, unfortunately, when I came down, it was a great trip and I had many realizations, uh, similar experiences, but nothing I wrote down made any sense when I was not on the LSD. Mm -hmm. So what I concluded is that whether this is true or false, I concluded that whatever it is that we're realizing while we're tripping is too complex for our minds without the psychedelic drug involved. So that when I came down, I don't have the psychedelic drug and that's why my writings had no meaning but I don't know if that's the case. I didn't write down anymore. After that. And during this uh, time, you're 17 to 21, you did engage in about a hundred uh, psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, with, were you with the same group of people or um, similar? Would similar. you have an ex a similar group? Yeah, so, someone would filter out, someone would filter in, but we were always close. We were always friends that were trusted. I would never trip with strangers. So, oh, you would never. Okay. So that's important to know. Mm -hmm. And then during your regular time or your time when you were not the rest of your life, when you were not uh, under the influence of these uh, medicines, did you have discussions and talk about your psychedelic experiences with one another? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and I see Gay is shaking her head. So you want to chime in there, Gay, and tell us about your some memories you have of discussions? Well, yes, with the group of friends, we would. Uh, I would do it with different friends also. And sometimes we'd do art, and we'd listen to music, and we had a creative thing going, and we would share what each other were, were what we were doing and what we were thinking about it. And then something else interesting, I noticed that some people, if they took LSD, would lean towards a bad trip and others would always have a good trip. And that was very interesting to me. And the only thing that I have come up with is that the people that were having a bad trip or a less than good trip, let's put it that way, were kind of rigid in their being rooted in reality. They weren't as flexible. So sometimes if I had a friend looking at her hand and she's saying, oh my God, this 
I look so old or looking in the mirror and, and having a negative thing, then I found myself bringing people to another spot, giving them another perspective so they wouldn't get scared or weirded out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sometimes what people call a bad trip is not having someone like you to guide them. And that's why I was so impressed that Dean knew how to create safe circumstance at age 17. Yes. Because because a bad trip can be turned into a good trip simply by either changing the focus the way you did with people or delving further into the badness in right. order to examine what it is that we're afraid of right. and then master it and conquer it. But right. you need but you, but you need a guide to do that because otherwise one can get caught up in a repetitive cycle of negativity and that's what's called a bummer, you know, a really bad right. trip. Exactly. Okay. So now we're going to move forward developmentally. You're now advancing in age in your life at that time, Gay. Yeah. So are you, of course, Dean. Mm -hmm. And take us forward. What happened next in your life? And what place did psychedelics have as you move forward in what we call chronological time? I'm purposely using that wording out of respect <laughs> to what you discovered, which is that time is a concept that we really just made up. And there is no such thing as time. There just right. is. Right. But as you move forward developmentally, tell us something about what happened then. Well, it was such an amazing experience that I then started seeking out things and methods that I thought if, if a drug could change my overall feeling like that, what can I do on my own? So I began to search and I found a great yoga teacher that was also a psychic and I started meditating and I started really examining life in a different way. And I took all kinds of uh, seminars and this and that all towards achieving once again, naturally that state of bliss really. And you, and you had the wisdom to do this while you were in your twenties. Were you in college? Yes. And you were doing this search for yoga and meditation and so on while you were in college or after? Yes. yes. No, while you were in college. college. TM had just come, you know, TM had just gotten popular. And so I could take a college course on TM for $50 at the time, which I did Tra do. Yeah. Transcendental meditation. Right. And where were you? What college did you go to? Seattle. And I was going to the community college there. Wow. At that Must time. Quite advanced. And take us further developmentally now. After you get out of college, did psychedelics continue to play a role in your life or not? No, they really didn't. I had a... Um, spiritual experience that just came upon me and I won't go into detail about that because it's a long involved story but after that experience I call that a gift of grace um, for about three weeks after that everything was just incredible just like being on LSD 
and it slowly waned, uh, but I don't think I ever went back to how I was before. And then life has just been, you know, going to therapy, going into my own personal therapy, which is why we both became therapists based on our own individual therapy and um, working to achieve that. And I think that we're pretty much there. Mm -hmm. And can you say some more, please, about how your individual personal therapy led you to become a therapist? Make that connection. Fill in the dots for us. Okay. Well, I would say that even though my life was good, I felt this uh, niggling feeling that maybe it, something was missing. And uh, getting into my personal therapy and examining my own mind, my thoughts, how they worked, how things turned out based on my coping mechanisms and those kinds of things actually shifted my life once again. So I'd say LSD was the biggest shift, um, then the spiritual experience, and then my own personal therapy. And my life just became so much better and so amazing that I wanted to help other people achieve the same thing. That's why I wrote the book, Your Guide to Self-Actualization. I, want, I wanted the average person to know that by examining their own mind via whatever, LSD, therapy, whatever, they can achieve that too. It isn't just for an elite few. Do you have children? One. And did you introduce a, a boy or a male or female? Male. Did you introduce your son to uh, psychedelics or have you told your son the story of the profound influence that these medicines had on you? Uh, yes, he did his own. <laughs> he introduced himself. And yes, we have an honest relationship about mm -hmm. all of these things. But as, if I understand you correctly, once you did that initial series of, of psychedelics, you haven't continued since that time. Correct. So therefore, I'm correct in assuming that you and your son have not done psychedelic medicines together. Correct. Okay. The reason I'm asking that is because I'm considering another book, which will be Psychedelic Families, and that'll be of, of families who take psychedelics together. Well, that would be very interesting. You know, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Well, I started one interview so far. I interviewed my own daughter, and uh, or one of my daughters, and she talked about uh, how taking psychedelics, you know, and as a family unit has affected, you know, her life in a positive direction. So you did that with your daughter? Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. What was your experience? Well, it was phenomenal. It was, uh, it was, um, it was heart opening. It was uh, profoundly empathetic. Um, it was the merging of, of energy systems, those energy systems that you talked about. We could feel the tendrils of the electricity merging. Uh, it was my wife and myself and my daughter uh, that, that did it together. And um, it, it gave us a, um, an, enhanced, an enhanced sense of connectedness. Yes. So we were we were already quite 
connected and there was already great trust in order to engage in this activity. But the experience itself brought us even further. And did it continue on, Richard? It has continued on and gotten only deeper. Ah, lovely. Yes. So, Dean, now I want to come back to you with the same question that I had for Gay, which is after this period, age 17 to 21, where you did perhaps 100 uh, psychedelic journeys, uh, take us forward. Did you continue in some way in your 20s and 30s and more? Or what, was, what has been your, your developmental history in psychedelic substances? I did not continue. Um after that and part of it was because of uh an inability the product that i was that was available uh started to decrease in quality and have additives that it, it just wasn't as clean as it was five years earlier right. I, or i didn't have access to to something cleaner and i noticed the degradation of it and i thought you know i, I this enough of this and so that's mm -hmm. why I, I stopped. Yeah. Okay, so now, so far, Dean, we've been talking to you and also Gay about uh, your experiment and experimentation with uh, LSD. Have mm -hmm. either of you experimented with any other psychedelics? Yes, psilocybin. Okay, when did that come into your life, Gay? And mushrooms. Uh, that was about the same time period up to maybe 24. Okay, what can you tell us about your uh, experience with psilocybin? With that, it was the same type of experience. Um, but by the time I was doing that, I was also getting out and about in the world. It wasn't just a safe environment. In other words, I wanted to see how it would work doing, doing things out in the world whether it was going to a park or going to a coffee shop or those kinds of things. And, and so that was interesting. Uh-huh. And that was also in your 20s? Yes. But then you did not experiment with other psychedelic medicines since that time in your 30s, yes. 40s, 50s? Correct, you have not. Correct, right. So, so and you have not experimented with MDMA? Oh, yes, I did have a little stint with that, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's so, right. I forgot about that. So uh, let's yeah, leave the let's leave the MDMA for a moment. We're going to switch over to Dean. Dean, did you um, have an opportunity of you to uh, experience other psychedelics in addition to LSD? I did, Richard. And um, I, I ate psilocybin mushrooms, the actual mushrooms themselves. And that was a wonderful experience. It was uh, not quite as, uh, I'll just use the term far out or intensive a trip as the LSD. Mm -hmm. So then just like Gay said, I, I thought I could take this out. I, I, fe I felt a degree of mastery over the psychedelic experience anyway from the LSD I had done. And so um, I remember actually one time we were in Big Sur, myself and a couple of friends and just a, just partied up there and there were other people around and we were swimming in uh, other venues like concerts. I thought I could really control this enough so that if 
you know, a police officer came up to me and asked me a question, I would look like I was zoned out. I could answer intelligently. I see. So with the psilocybin, you made a really big jump from more of a personal inside and what you called a safe, creating a safe experience with your friends. With the psilocybin, you ventured out into the world. And it sounds like you, you used it socially, as, whereas with the LSD, you used it introspectively. That would be mm -hmm. a good description of it, yes. Yes. Now, that, since that time, in your 20s, LSD, some psilocybin mushrooms, have you ventured further in your 30s, 40s, 50s, etc., with any psychedelics? Or like gay, did you stop? Well, what about when we were in Las Vegas? Remind me. Didn't we have mushrooms? I don't recall that. You okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I thought we did. But okay. at any rate, uh, if anything, it was just a small dose of uh, the actual mushroom itself. Yeah. Now, so the two of you have not had MDMA together? I have never had that at all, and I really am interested in it. Uh-huh. Now, have you had opportunities, and have you used them, if you have, to share these experiences that you're sharing with me about LSD particularly and the profound effect that they've had on your lives, because that's what really what you're saying in both yeah. your cases. You're mm -hmm. saying that these these substances had major positive influences yes. on your lives. Have you shared this with other professionals or with people in your family? Tell us about that, Gay. Well, we're we're very open about that, and I will I will even share that with clients if they're interested in that. And I have several clients that have taken ayahuasca and have felt like that actually changed their lives. And they made uh, various decisions based on the learnings that they got through ayahuasca. Okay, so you have been open. You have been uh, talking to people uh, about, these, uh, about these substances. Yeah. And... You haven't felt isolated, in other words. No. And what about yourself, uh, Dean? Do you have you been able to talk about your experiences? Well, of course, I I share it with friends, and um, I have uh, an older brother who I was able to share these things with, uh, who would understand. But um, Back years ago, I, I had to be very careful. Now, since I've become a therapist, and then I, I, I and I would find out, like Gay said, if somebody was open to that and wanted to discuss it, I would share it with them. And a lot of people were fascinated. And also, as Gay says, the um, the ayahuasca, which once again I haven't had that either, but there was a ceremony going up in the high desert and. A client of mine came to me whose son was um, hooked on Vicodin. He was addicted to Vicodin. And she said she sent him up there for an ayahuasca experience for the weekend. And when he came back, he completely straightened his life up. I mean, he just didn't need another pill. Um, 
And he'd been in and out of treatment, right? He'd, he'd been in and out of treatment. He wasn't supporting himself. He looked disheveled. So all of a sudden, he's got a shave, a haircut. He's wearing nice clothes, and he starts working at a, a really high-end place um, in a sales position. I mean, he just did a 180, and I thought that was absolutely profound. So I have shared that uh that story that I just told with other clients. I said, so, you know, if you can find a ceremony, I think there's a lot to be gained from it. Um, from an addictive standpoint, if you're addicted to something, or if you have other habits that you just can't seem to understand and get a hold of. I and if, you, and if you've tried everything else, why not? If the government allowed you to to use psychedelic medicines in your practice, would you do so? Maybe. There would be some clients. You mean actually administer it to the client in a clinical it, setting? If the government allowed it, it was fully mm -hmm. legal and it was just considered a tool of your work, would you use it in your practice? That's what I'm asking. Would you take people yes. on, on LSD journeys? I probably would. Or at least psilocybin. I don't know about but, the LSD. Okay, and what is your hesitation about the LSD, Dean? If it's really clean, pure LSD, which is the only kind I would want to take, uh, it okay. can be a little too intense for a neophyte, for somebody who does not have any. So I would at least want to start them with psilocybin. And then maybe take them into LSD? Yes, if they said, wow, that was great, and they had all these profound realizations, and, and I felt there was a thirst for more and to go deeper... And I, I imagine what I would do is interview that person more and say, well, we can do that. It will be more intense. So you'll have to really be mindful of your thoughts and remember that you can control this. So if something looks scary or weird, I mean, like this one uh, girl we were tripping with in someone's house was staring in the mirror and she said, this eye is bigger than the other eye. And she was <laughs> freaking out. And I said, your eyes are the same size. Just don't look in the mirror. So you have to know how to just break away from stuff. So. I, I would coach them if they wanted a deeper experience, and then we would try that. Both of you look at these psychedelic experiences as life-changing experiences. And you're nodding your heads. Yes. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about the fact that 50 years after your profoundly positive experiences, these substances are still illegal. Well, it's ridiculous. Think of what the shamans have been doing for eons. You know, it, I mean. Yeah, the indigenous people using them. Right. Uh, as you said, there are no deaths uh, reported. And um, I think it's just absurd. It's the war on drugs, as a DEA agent once told me, is we don't win it. It's never going to get won. It's just we're chasing our tail. Matter of fact, there are more drugs in the U.S. now than there ever were. And back to your point, if they can sell cigarettes and alcohol, why can't somebody eat a mushroom? Yeah. And alcohol compared to marijuana, oh, there's no comparison in terms of damage. Oh, yeah. Now, alcohol, uh, marijuana uh, is, uh, is legal uh, recreationally. Uh, in the state of California. Yes. Gay, gay, do you see uh, marijuana as having uh, a purpose 
in personal growth and enhancement and in psychotherapy? In terms of personal growth, um, I always think that it is nice to change your state now and then. In other mm -hmm. words, to, to have a different perspective now and then. And I don't drink. And so uh, marijuana is one way you can change your state for a few hours. And so do I think it has value? Yeah, because I think everybody, you know, it's good for everybody to change their state now and then mm -hmm. to get a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel? What are your thoughts about the, the potential uh, for a marijuana as a, a psychotherapeutic agent? I actually have realized that a number of my clients, I, I, had, I had clients come in and they let me know that they smoke marijuana all day. And then I come to find that they were, they had ADD or some other type of an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder. Now I could never take a puff of marijuana and go to work because you would know that there's something wrong with me. <laughs> I was different. Uh, but these individuals who are able, they come in, they, they say they smoked a bowl in the, their session. I go, you mean you're high right now? Yes. And I would never know it. And then through talking to them, I realized that they gravitate toward that as a natural medication instead of taking Adderall or one of the antidepressants or something their psychiatrist gave them. And it works even better. Uh, also as a sleep aid, I've told, I've gotten people off of their sleeping pills. I said, go get some edibles. You know, they've got the, the, is it the Indica that will, you know, make you nice and drowsy. And I think that beats the heck out of taking any type of a chemical to go to sleep. So yeah, I've recommended marijuana to some of my clients and uh, found out that others do it all day long through their jobs in some really technical and high-powered jobs. And then I talk to them about, well, what kind of, what made you do that? And then I find out that it really makes them feel, uh, it levels the playing field for them. And without that, they're just too nervous. It, it actually grounds them. It does the opposite of what it does to me. So I realized that that's something that they're, their intuition is naturally seeking. It's an interesting point you make that these people are using marijuana in the same way others are using prescription medicine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, because it, it, that, that's really a point that's worthy of a lot of consideration because I, like yourself, would never consider going to work to see a patient or a client under the influence of anything Right. Because I've been trained and got myself believing that I want to give my clients and patients, uh, you know, my um, my natural state, if you will. Sure. And yet, I am certain that therapists around the country, some, are under the influence of prescription medicine yeah. that they're getting. Okay from their medical doctors right. and, and, and they are not sitting in their office thinking to themselves, I'm giving my patient an altered consciousness. Right. And the reason they're not thinking that way is because their doctor prescribed that medicine. Whereas if they were to take marijuana in the way that your clients do, they would think that they're doing something quote bad or right. wrong right? Exactly. Bad or wrong, right. unprofessional, mm -hmm. uh, in mm -hmm. violation of the license. This right. is a very, very interesting, 
Very interesting situation. Yes, it is. So therefore, it would it would skip over the uh, the ethics barrier of having to be your your real self, your most high functioning self. Um, now where did that thought go? The bad or wrong thing. Oh yeah. So I could be taking prescription drugs, and I'm not doing anything wrong, just like you said. But if it were another substance that wasn't quite legal or accepted by society, yeah, there would be that guilt. So, for example, would you want your surgeon on Xanax while he's slicing into you? <laughs> would you? Would you want your? What you know? What of the various medicines right. would you want or not want? And yet, we know very little about what surgeons around the country are under the influence of while they're doing surgery. There's exactly. some inter- some interesting uh, ideas coming out of this interview, worthy of a lot further consideration. Well, we did know a surgeon who uh, was uh, on Vicodin all the time and went to work. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, in, in my chemical dependence program, I treated surgeons who were under the influence of cocaine yeah. while, they were, while they were doing surgery. Or alcohol. And unfortunately, also alcohol. Right. Uh, Gay, how... Have these seminal psychedelic experiences affected your value system and your politics? Oh, that's interesting. I put you on the spot. Dean gets an opportunity to think about that while you're... (laughs) My value system. Yes. Well, certainly um, by the connectedness... um, and if I can think back on those those trips, it was more loving and less critical. So in a value system, uh, that's helped me maybe be less judgmental. Um, politics. Well, I would say that I'm I'm a libertarian, so I'm conservative, but I feel that people should be able to do what they want. In other words, if they want to smoke marijuana, they should be able to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm of the mind of just mind your own business. You know, let people do what they want and don't be judgmental. I, I would say that carries over into the politics. Is, is mind your own uh, business your variation of Dean's nod and smile? Yes. <laughs> You know, I don't care who sleeps with who or what you want to call yourself or uh, I don't believe in political correctness. I believe in an authentic self. And uh, it's probably affected that. Mm -hmm. Authentic self. How about yourself, Dean? Have these psychedelic experiences affected, you believe, and not how? I mean, not whether or not, but they have. But how have they affected your values and your politics? Well, one of the things is that the psychedelic experiences taught me that there is so much more out there than we can ever understand. So don't be so damn sure about anything and not have your mind remaining open to things being different or things being not what they appear to be. So it caused me to realize 
we don't know what we don't know. We, there's, a, there's so much we don't know. And uh, that has me viewing people differently. Uh, it has me viewing situations differently. Mm-hmm. And that's my big takeaway on that one. We're coming to the end of our time. And uh, I have a, uh, something that I'd like to ask, which is if you two were able to get access to a variety of reagent from the pharmacy, any and all psychedelic medicines for your present personal use or professional use with each other, are there any that you would select and would experiment with? Go for it. Well, we would like to have an ayahuasca experience. Yes. And that's probably what I would go for, we would go for now. Uh, because of the whole experience, not just the ayahuasca, but the ceremony, the ritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would definitely do that if we found a good source that we could trust. And are there stories you've heard or information you have that lead you towards the ayahuasca? Was there some particular thing that you would like to, you know, get from it that would be of interest to you? For me, it would be uh, just having the experience and seeing what the experience has to teach me. And uh, I have several clients that have experienced it and with very favorable results. And we've read about people that have experienced it. And many said it was life-changing. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know because of our past experience if it would be that for us, but I'd like to find out. It okay. would be nice to compare and contrast right. uh, that type of a psychedelic experience with what we've already had in the uh, in the past. Especially after 45 years. Yeah. <laughs> it yes. would be interesting to see what would happen now. And what about for you, Dean? Are there any other substances which, if you could get legal and 100% clean you would like to experiment with? Well, of course, I'd want to do ayahuasca with Gate, but yes. I, unlike her, I've never tried MDMA. And so I really have a curiosity there. I would like to do that. And uh, I've heard really interesting things about that. Everybody that's had it has told me uh, fabulous things. And actually, Richard, one day Gate and I were talking to a, a psychic an individual who's a psychic. And I said, how did you get to be a psychic? Or when did you realize? She said, I did MDMA one time and it just opened a door. And even when the effects of the drug wore off, um, I can still, she still still felt that she was in touch with this other side, uh, this connection of information from a other dimension world, et cetera. And her psychic abilities remain. Sometimes you two have had the experience of being somewhere at a meeting or an event. And then you leave and you're driving home and one of you says to the other, gosh, I wish I would have said blah, 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 blah. In other words, you remember something that you wish you would have said at the event. Right. Right now, I want you to just take a pause and think if you were to be in your car or I click off the the machine 
we're no longer in the interview. What might you say to one another of, oh, I wish I would have said during the interview, is there anything that comes to mind when I present that question? Well, when I searched for a yoga teacher after my experience, and she was a psychic and people would travel to Seattle to see her, I asked her about psychedelic experiences. And she said that they actually opened the chakras. And somebody who really flipped out was unable to close down again afterwards or close down again during. And so she gave me almost a physical picture or energetic picture of what she thought happened with psychedelics. And I thought that was really valuable. She didn't see it as a negative, even though she was old school. Mm -hmm. So what, what would you like people to take away from that story? That it's an opening. It's an opening. Yeah. Dean, Dean, anything you'd like to add? Well, if we could uh, switch back to when you were talking about these things being illegal uh, with the federal government, um, even though everything seems more open and yes, it's legal in California, there's still such a bias against using drugs that are not prescribed to the point where I had uh, I had a gentleman come into my office and uh, he's a business owner, so he applied for a license to carry a concealed weapon. Uh, he has a lot of cash to and for the bank, to and for the bank, carries it. And so uh, he came in and he said, Dean, would you believe that the questions on the application asked me, do I smoke marijuana? And then have you ever smoked marijuana in your life? And if you answered yes to either one of those, you wouldn't get the permit to carry the the concealed mm-hmm. weapon. And yet he said, it doesn't ask how much you drink. Do you drink, <laughs> a, fifth, do you drink a fifth of vodka every night it was not on the questionnaire. Right. And it's like, wow, have you ever smoked marijuana in the past is going to be held against you, but you could be a raging alcoholic and there's not one question about alcohol. So there's a societal perception that's still alive and well, no matter what right. the more advanced people think and no matter what the state laws are doing. I think that's a that's a, a wonderful place to conclude our interview. I want to thank you, Gay. I want to thank you, Dean, for for courageously, as professionals, sharing your experience of psychedelic substances and participating in this series, Confessions of Psychedelic Elders. <laughs> thank you, Richard, for having us on. We really appreciate yes, it. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. David, that's a wrap. Come on back. <laughs>